0: One of the most challenging aspects of child rearing is how to manage our child's personal conflicts with other children. Most often, those other children are their siblings, but not always. As soon as our children are old enough to crawl around on the floor with other children, conflicts can arise. First it begins with a wanted toy, or perhaps a turn riding in a car. Then conflicts begin to arise over interpretations and perceptions of events. For example, he hit me first. She called me a liar. He grabbed it right out of my hands. Who do you believe? What should the consequences be? The conflicting claims of what happened can jeopardize the friendships, not just with the children in question, but the adults attached to them. How many times have you wondered the best way to support your child in a conflict with another? When you witness conflict, Do you want to run for the hills? Do you find yourself irritated with your children when they fight because you simply don't know what to do? Do you feel ill-equipped to handle their conflicts? Do you wish they would just stop fighting? You may find yourself wishing your kids could all just get along. However, children's conflicts are inevitable. Just like adults, they have differences in opinions and perceptions as well as needs. These differences create conflicts. Therefore, the next time your kids are fighting, is the goal to get them to stop or is the goal to teach them the skills they need to work through their inevitable conflict that will arise in their lives? What are the skills they need to work through conflict? What are the skills parents need to support them? Not sure? Then be sure to listen to today's podcast where I explicitly teach conflict resolution skills. Whether you are a parent or a teacher, you will want to listen in. I'm a teacher with a degree in child psychology and in education. I'm a parenting consultant with specialized interest in supporting conscientious parents who are seeking effective and compassionate ways to parent. I am privileged and grateful to have four human beings on this planet that call me mom. Now, as teens and young adults, they continue to offer me moments where I find myself challenged or uncomfortable. It's within these moments of discomfort that I learn more about myself, resulting in me seeking and further developing critical life skills that empower me to reduce my suffering. As a result reducing the chances of inflicting potential harm on those around me I have noticed that the more I learn about myself the more I'm able to find answers I have noticed that the more I develop skill sets in areas like communication the more I'm able to create peace and ease in my life and prevent conflict what do I mean by that let me explain I remember when I was home on maternity leave with my son. That was when Dr. Phil was becoming a regular guest on the Oprah show. One of his expressions that really struck me was, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. I found it amusing, yet I could feel the truth in it. If I was miserable, that seemed to set the tone for the entire house. Not to say that it isn't okay for moms to be sad, mad, frightened, or any other unpleasant emotion. And not to say that Daddy's negative emotions don't impact the family either. However, Dr. Phil's comment made me realize how my mental state affects my family. It also contributed to a path of seeking a better understanding of what my strong emotions were saying to me. My emotions offered me great personal insight if I was willing and brave enough to investigate them. Eventually over the years, while being busy with four small children, I kept reminding myself that by taking care of me, I was taking care of my family. One of my mantras in self-care became one of my most important jobs is to take care of my children's mother. Part of my self-care involved taking workshops and going on retreats. I've explored many modalities in self-care. What I have noticed is is at the core of these self-empowering modalities is the need for effective communication. I have noticed that within the heart of any problem is a breakdown in communication, either with another or with ourselves. I've put a great deal of time and effort in further developing my ability to communicate with myself and others in a compassionate way. It is an ongoing process. Some days I feel very well equipped and skilled in communicating that assists me in managing any conflict, like mediating between two fighting children. Other days, it's not that easy. However, I have learned to give myself the forgiveness and compassion to do the best I can each and every day, as well as reflect and learn from my not so great experiences and carry on. After years of workshops and training, I discovered the most important element of communication. What is it? Listening. And not just listening the way we traditionally think of listening, not just sitting quietly while the other person talks, listening to the other from a pure place of empathy without judging their story as good or bad. Listening without creating a plan on how to fix their problem listening without planning in our minds while they're speaking what we will say once they stop talking. It is about listening past the words to hear the feelings and needs of the other person. Our stories are a conduit to bring to the surface what is really going on within ourselves. These communication skills, which I introduce in my online parenting workshop, are so critical to have when supporting children in conflict these skills, which I also teach parents who I support on a one-to-one basis, makes a huge difference in empowering children to manage their own conflicts in a more peaceful and compassionate manner. The conflicts in my home have gone from fighting over a love toy, someone not sharing a treat, or a disagreement over who left the mess in the playroom, to conflicts over a love sweater that was borrowed without asking, who needs to fill the tank up with gas, who owes who money, who is going to be the designated driver for the night, or someone refusing to listen to the other person's version of the story. Regardless of the content of the conflict or the age of the disputers, the skills required to support our children are the same. Over the years as a teacher, I've witnessed many moments of conflict at school. In my early years of teaching, I remember often trying to turn a blind eye to the conflict so I wouldn't have to deal with it. Or I would try to minimize and dismiss the conflict two students might be having. It was so easy just to tell two young children it was not that big of a deal and not to worry about it. Or passing the buck by saying you should have told the teacher on yard duty. Teachers College never prepared me for all the conflict I would be confronted with in a day. It is very difficult in the midst of countless curriculum expectations to find time to manage conflicts. Yet what curriculum would be more important for our young people to learn than how to listen to one another and work through conflict? In this podcast, I want to share with you a story of me supporting children through conflict. I wrote about this story and shared it with my fellow parent blogger and teacher, Susan Fraser, on her amazing parenting website called One Time Through. I strongly encourage you to check out her website at OneTimeThrough.com for great parenting tips. It would be especially helpful for parents who are supporting their children learning at home right now. My story involves a conflict between two six year olds at the school where I teach. In this case, I am in the role of a teacher, not parent. However, rest assured, I've used these same skills to support my children through conflict as well. The good news is the more you teach children how to listen to one another, the less conflict that requires your support. Over time, children learn how to mediate their own conflicts. Mind you, they may still do it in a way that is not as peaceful and as calm as you may like. But just like any other skill sets, these are ones that need practiced in order to develop and strengthen. The goal is not to avoid or eliminate conflict for our children. They need experiences in conflict in order to learn how to navigate through differences in opinion throughout their entire lives. This event happened some time ago. As you listen, you will know it clearly took place before COVID-19. The names have been changed for privacy reasons. My story went something like this. Mrs. McPherson, she grabbed me at recess and I didn't like it. A grade one student named Lena said this to me while pointing at another girl, Jenny, as I was getting ready to teach her class music. Oh boy, I thought, here we go again. Another conflict to deal with. Some days, it is hard to get to the business of teaching when students are struggling to get along. I had so much planned in our 50-minute class together that I just really wanted to get to my lesson. As much as I would have liked to let on, I did not hear the student's complaint. I simply couldn't ignore her. I put our good morning song on so the students could begin our class ritual of singing and greeting each other, while I spoke to the two girls who were clearly in conflict. I asked Lena to tell me again what the problem was while Jenny was standing on the other side of me. Lena shared that she did not like it when Jenny grabbed her arm at recess and would not let go. Jenny tried to interrupt in a need to explain her actions. I reminded Jenny to please listen until Lena was done explaining her experience at recess it isn't easy to listen to others, especially if their story doesn't match our own. Listening is a skill we all need to work on no matter how old we are. I address this topic in my blog, Why is my teenager acting this way? It can be found on my website, jillmcpherson.com. Jenny was able to remain quiet and listen because she trusted me that she too would have an uninterrupted time to share her version of what happened at recess. When Lena was done, I asked Jenny to tell me what she heard Lena say. I was thrilled when Jenny was able to repeat back everything Lena shared with accuracy, even though she didn't appear to agree with what she heard Lena share. Then Jenny said that very subtle and very deadly word that quickly shuts down others from listening to us. What's that deadly word? But! Anything we say that is followed by a but is the part where we are defending ourselves, making excuses on why we did what we did, or minimizing the other person's experience. Whatever is said after a but tends to negate or minimize what we said before the but. Perhaps you have heard someone say, Sorry I was late, but... I know you're upset, but... I hear you are mad at me, but... I'm sorry but when we are upset as soon as we hear but we no longer feel heard and tend to feel frustrated or stop listening to the other I stopped Jenny when I heard the but and said I know you want us to hear your story first let's check with Lena to see if you heard her correctly I looked at Lena and asked if she felt heard by Jenny she nodded her head yes Okay, Jenny, I said. It sounds like you did a great job listening. Now, please tell Lena what happened for you at recess. Jenny agreed that she had grabbed Lena. Lena interrupted Jenny to remind her she needed to use her words next time. I reminded Lena her job right now is to listen to Jenny. Her job is not to agree or disagree with her story. Jenny responded with, I did use my words. I did speak nicely to you, but you wouldn't listen. You didn't say anything. I asked you if I could play with you, but you didn't say anything. My heart was hurting. My heart was hurting. Wow. I heard a girl who was very aware of her feelings and that she had a need not only to be heard, but for connection and friendship. Now the song that I had played for the other 186 year olds was done. Chaos would soon prevail if I ignored them. So I told the girls I had a strong need to support them and I needed to get back to their classmates. I asked the girls if we could share their conversation with the rest of the class so we could all learn about how we can listen to one another in order to solve our disagreements. They nodded. It was okay. I asked everyone to sit down on the carpet. I explained to the class why these two girls were upset. Then I turned to Lena and asked what I ask all students who tell me someone is being mean to them, verbally or physically. Lena, what do you think Jenny was trying to tell you when she grabbed your arm? Lena just looked down at her feet. After a few seconds, I asked her if she would be okay with me guessing. She nodded her head. And so I guessed. I'm wondering if Jenny had a need to be heard. I heard that you did not answer her question. So when you started to walk away, she grabbed you to get you to answer her. I wonder if her hands were saying, please hear me and answer me. Instantly, Jenny's eyes lit up and she said, yes, she wouldn't answer me. I told Lena that my experience is when people use their words and they still don't feel heard, then sometimes they use their hands. It does not make it okay. It just seems to be what humans do. We will often do unkind things. We were trying to get our needs met, like a need to be heard, a need for friendship, even love. I then shared that I was wondering why she did not answer Jenny's question. Lena stood there quietly, looking downwards again. After some silence, I said, hmm, I'm wondering if you did not want to play with her and you didn't want to tell her the truth. Is that right? Lena nodded yes, looking like her confession could get her into trouble. I wasn't surprised she looked nervous. At the age of six, she has likely already learned from adults that it's not okay to say who she does and does not want to play with. Because of this, children begin to conclude that being honest is being mean. How many times do we punish children when they share their honesty about who they do and do not want to play with? Yet we as adults would never want to be forced to spend our social time with people who we do not enjoy. Why don't we teach our children polite ways to be honest and most importantly, teach the receiver how to accept an, I don't want to play with you comment. How about we teach children how to use this information as valuable feedback rather than feeling like a victim of cruelty. When we teach children to learn to stay quiet, to not be honest and tolerate undesirable relationships or even possibly abusive ones, they learn it is more important to keep others happy instead of themselves. What dangers are we putting them in as they get older? We can also help children learn to not fall into the trap of believing that the other person hurt them when they said, I don't wanna play with you, we can teach them that no one can hurt our feelings without our permission. Oh, how I wish these skills were part of our school curriculum. So, back to my story. I asked Lena, the girl whose arm was pulled, Is it possible you did not want to play with Jenny and did not want to tell her because you did not want to hurt her feelings? Another nod of agreement. I assured Lena I understood that she did not want to hurt Jenny's feelings. However, I asked her what happened when she stayed silent and walked away instead of being truthful. Lena looked up and said, She grabbed me. That's right, I said. Do you think your strategy worked? Did staying silent and walk away work? Lena shook her head no. I told her that I'm guessing that Jenny used her hands because she had a need to be heard. Your silence told her you didn't hear her. And I'm guessing that Jenny has a need for friendship and wants to be friends with you. Is that right, Jenny? Jenny nodded yes. Now I turned my focus to the arm grabber. I helped Jenny hear why Lena stayed silent. I asked Jenny if she understood why Lena did not answer. Jenny said in a sad voice, because she didn't want to play with me. Yeah, I said and I see that as painful for you to hear. I hear you were upset and so you used your hands to grab her because you wanted to be heard and wanted a friend. Did I get that right? Now Jenny was fighting tears. I asked her, when you grabbed her, do you think that made her want to be your friend more or less? Did that strategy get you what you wanted? She knew the answer right away. With my arm around her in a sideways hug, I turned to the class and asked them, if you ask someone to play and they don't answer and then they walk away, what do you think their answer is? One student raised his hand and said, they don't wanna play with you. I agreed and I said, that's my guess too. I told the class, if you have to run after someone trying to get them to be your friend, then that person is likely not your friend. Or, they just don't want to play with you at that moment, but they might in another moment. Remember, friends are people you don't have to run after or try to convince to like you. I thought if we could only teach our young children to hear and live this, then how many teenage girls would stop trying to convince boys to like them or wanting a guy to figure out he likes her what would happen if we could teach our girls this early on so that when they become young women, they will know that a man who is truly interested and sees her value does not need to be, quote unquote, chaste or convinced. At the same time, how would the world change for women if we could teach our boys to become men who could confidently share their interest in a woman and are able to listen to not only their words, but their nonverbal communication as well? So no one needs to run. Back to my grade one class. Jenny said something very painful and honest. But nobody wants to play with me. Oh, how I wish I had all the time in the world to coach the kids who struggle to make friendships. I knew I had to close up this conversation as my grade ones were getting restless and needed to move on. Yet there was another learning opportunity for them all. I repeated back what I heard Jenny say, so she knew I heard her. Then I asked the class to listen to Jenny, not just with their ears, but with their hearts, and then wonder if there was any way they could help her with her need for friendship. Finally, I turned to Jenny and suggested that perhaps she could stand back and notice kids at recess who seemed to have friends and just get curious. Notice if they seem to be trying to make friends or are they just being themselves? Most importantly, I asked her what she thought those kids thought about themselves. Do you think they like themselves? Jenny nodded yes. I agreed. Then I invited her to notice if she liked herself. I told her not to answer that now, just to wonder. Do you like being you? Do you like being with you? I turned to the class and asked them to ponder this question. If we don't like being with ourselves, then how can we expect anyone else to? First, try remembering what a great person you are and then notice what happens. Don't try to change yourself for anyone. I turned to Jenny and said, I know you are a kind and loving person. Do you know that? With tears in her eyes, she nodded yes. I said, great. When you remember how wonderful you are, then others will see that too. Then I added, and remember everyone, it is okay if some people don't like you. You probably don't like everyone you meet. We don't all have to be friends and play together. We just all need to be kind to each other. I asked Jenny and Lena for a hug and thanked them for sharing their stories with us so we could all learn how to talk and listen better and how to make friends these conflicts in getting along is often a constant issue if you have children or if you are a teacher. How do we effectively deal with children's conflicts? What are the steps I used in my example? Let's do a recap. 1. Ask one child to speak and the other one to listen without interrupting. 2. Assure the listener he will get a chance to be heard as well. 3. Ask the listener to repeat back what he heard the speaker say without judgment. Assist them in sharing it as an observation. In other words, sharing only the words they heard, not the interpretation of the words. 4. Check with the speaker that she was heard correctly. Do you feel heard? The child's body language will tell you a lot. Our bodies tend to loosen a little when we feel heard. Five, now the roles reverse and check in with the second child to make sure he was heard. As the mediator, you can now check that you heard each of them correctly by guessing their feelings and needs. It sounds like you're feeling because you have a need for. Be patient with yourself. You may not get it right the first guess. As much as possible, try to leave it at that. Once you feel assured they have heard one another, leave it up to them to find a solution. When children come up with solutions on their own, you increase their problem-solving skills, and therefore, their resolutions are much more likely to be effective. 7. On a side note here, you may notice that once two people believe their feelings and needs have been heard, the context of the fight fades away. Suddenly, a solution to the argument is not always required because it never really was about the story. The story was the strategy to get a need met. It is a powerful reminder that we are rarely upset for the reasons we think. Eight, finally, at the end of the conversation, do not make children apologize. A forced apology is never sincere. It does not truly make anyone feel better and over time will shut children down from accepting or believing a sincere apology when it is given freely and lovingly. Forced apologies can contribute to challenges with forgiveness. A great resource for further developing the skills can be found in Marshall Rosenberg's book Nonviolent Communication A Language of Life. I introduced nonviolent communication skills in my online parenting workshop More details can be found on my website at jillmcpherson.com the benefits of teaching children conflict resolution skills are endless when children learn how to hear each other's feelings and needs over time they will become more compassionate and be able to find solutions on their own in a way that works for everyone in the case of my two grade one students they may discover ways to get along and play together But more importantly, they needed support in learning how to communicate to one another in a nonviolent and compassionate way. When I say nonviolent, I'm not just talking about ways to communicate without grabbing the other person's arm, but ways to communicate so they can truly hear the other's feelings and needs rather than just the other person's story. In addition, if children are in a relationship that they are not comfortable with, then we can guide them in finding other ways to meet their needs. This does not mean they no longer have a relationship with a sibling or someone in their class. Instead, it means they can stop becoming frustrated over expecting or wishing their sibling or classmate to be a certain way. They can learn to seek other ways to receive understanding, acknowledgement, information, trust, or connection with others. It is so empowering when we teach our children how to truly listen to one another, and it is freeing when they learn how to meet their needs in many different areas of their lives, especially when they learn to let go of believing a certain person has to play with me, or she has to do X, or he has to do Y in order for me to be happy. When we help our children learn to truly hear one another, we will create a generation of adults with empathy and self-empowering skills that will make things like domestic violence, gang violence, and even political wars impossible. These steps to support children in conflict can be difficult, especially when we are emotionally attached to the ones fighting. It can be very difficult to keep a level head and think, now what were those steps again? As one of your children has the other in a neck hold on the floor, where kids are screaming at the top of their lungs or throwing objects or slamming doors. These skills take time to develop and a great deal of patience to implement. Most days, it's just easier to order them to their rooms or threaten to take away privileges. Unfortunately, when we do that, we deny them valuable conflict resolution practice and we deny ourselves mediation practice. Be patient with yourself. Take baby steps. Perhaps the next time your kids are fighting over a toy, the front seat, the last cookie, an article of clothing, or who is really telling the truth, you could simply remember this one thing. The goal is not to resolve the conflict for your children. As parents, we are so quick to decide who gets the toy and who has to wait, which one gets the cookie, and who is telling the truth and who is lying. When we decide how the conflict ends, we rob them of the skills they need to figure out how to get along with others and get what they want in a civilized, compassionate way. So what is the number one goal the next time your children are fighting? To help them hear each other. Once we truly hear one another, we stop fighting over strategies and behaviors and start connecting with one another. Once connection is established, resolutions often easily arise. If you are interested in learning how to be more effective at supporting your children through conflict, then I invite you to join me and other parents who are awakening to a more compassionate and peaceful way to parent. Join me as we work together to shift our parenting paradigm from one that involves controlling children's behavior and emotions to a paradigm that involves teaching children skills like how to listen to one another and how to effectively speak up and share their truth in a way others are more likely to hear. I wonder how a generation of children who are taught these skills might change the world in their lifetime. A parenting question for me? Please email me your questions at, Jill yes, at gmail.com and I will do my best to answer them in future podcasts. Or perhaps you would like to ask your question directly and join me in a great parenting conversation right here on my podcast. Either way, I look forward to hearing from you. Until then, join me, Jill McPherson, in awakening to a more loving, peaceful, and compassionate way a parent on Awakened Parenting.